0: Welcome to EdMed Talks. I'm Dr. Adam DeVico, an educator.
1: I'm Dr. Jacqueline DeVico, a pediatrician.
0: And welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of EdMed Talks, where we chat about parenting. And today's topic, Jacqueline, is one that I think is going to send a familiar vibe to so many parents, and that is tantrums.
1: Yes, tamper tantrums can happen at all different ages of children, and we're gonna go through kind of why they happen and talk about the varying stages, reasons, and ways parents can help their children stay calm and understand their behavior.
0: Yeah, we didn't want to just make this like, uh, "Hey, tantrums happen," because we know that. <laughs> so we really want to be uh, proactive too with discussing some tips, ideas, ways that we as parents can. Because I don't think there's any preventing always, but there's ways that we can help when tantrums happen. And so like Jacqueline said, we're going to go through kind of uh, developmental stages and also talk about how they manifest differently according to the age of the child.
1: Yes, so when people think of the traditional temper tantrum, they think of toddlers, which are children ages 1 to 3, and those are the peak years of the traditional temper tantrums. The yelling, the screaming, the kicking, um, they kind of peak around ages 1 to 3 and then start to decrease around ages 4. And a big reason why these happen in this age range is where these children are developmentally. They don't realize that their thoughts are different from other people's. And so it is extremely frustrating for a toddler because they want something and they can't comprehend why you don't want to give them what they want. Toddler sees you chopping vegetables with a big shiny knife. They want to hold the big shiny knife. Therefore, in toddler world, you should give them the big shiny knife. And when you don't, you know, because you're a good, reasonable parent, They get extremely, extremely frustrated. You won't give them what they want.
0: Yeah, and so in their minds, uh, they are expecting what they want. We don't give it to them. And so, yeah, they're kind of selfish, aren't they? Uh, But in a very developmentally appropriate way. And so what might this look like for a one to three, maybe even four or five-year-old? You might see the crying, the screaming, the kicking, the stomping, uh, maybe some angry faces Uh, What am I missing here? Like, what else would it look like?
1: Well, it can accompany some unwanted behaviors as well. And I always, when we talk about how to deal with temper tantrums, I always tell parents, I want you to punish the behaviors that are unwanted, such as the biting, the hitting, the kicking, the throwing things, things that can be destructive. Behaviors you don't want to see, I want parents to be firm with and punish those behaviors, but not the feeling. The feelings of being upset and having these uncontrolled emotions, that's normal.
0: Yeah, and of course, when does this always happen? When we least wanted to, right? So, (laughs) of course, uh, you know, as parents ourselves, we had our fair share of meltdowns in restaurants and shopping areas and friends' houses, and so it always seems to happen the most in public places, And so in those situations, we have some ideas that, you know, you can do.
1: Yeah, so ideally, if you're away from home in a public place, you want to remove the child from that situation. So I always tell parents, if it is financially viable for your family, I very much encourage memberships to like a children's museum or a science center, even just one. Children do not get bored of the same place over and over again. They actually love it because it,
0: it's predictable.
1: And that's how they learn and grow. And the one nice thing, if you do have a membership to these type of places, is if your child has a temper tantrum within 15 minutes of being there, you can pack up, go home, and not worry you've wasted a bunch of money.
0: Yeah, because there's nothing worse than dropping 7500 bucks and then having to leave after 15 minutes because you get that that frozen feeling when your kid starts screaming mm-hmm. in the middle of the aquarium and you're like, oh man, <laughs> just dropped all this money. And they're, of course, not going to comprehend what the connection is but in your mind we get it. Yeah.
1: Now if that's not possible going back to the car or going outside just removing them from the situation can help them calm down and also I always remind parents of toddlers and preschool children when your child is having a temper tantrum do not have an adult temper tantrum at that moment. If you start yelling and screaming and moving a bunch around your child, they're going to mimic your behavior, and that is going to heighten the tantrum rather than help calm it down. And it's okay. If, if you can't help yourself for a moment, as long as your child's safe, step away, calm down yourself before you go back to your child.
0: And another tip we want to share is please make sure that they don't give into demands. And because obviously there is a reason not always a rational reason, but there is a reason that this child is having a temper tantrum, and sometimes the cause of it is because they want something. So Jacqueline gave the example of the knife before. Obviously, that's a little bit more of an extreme example, and we assume that you're not going to give your child a sharp knife, but there's less uh, extreme examples that, you know, as parents, yeah, we can give in to sometimes because we just don't want to hear that tantrum. For example, a child wants an extra piece of candy, and they've already had one, Or they want to stay outside longer and it's time to go in and take a bath. You know, those are very simple things that we sometimes give into because it's, I just want to avoid the meltdown or I just want to avoid the tantrum. But all we're doing in those situations is affirming the fact that, hey, in the child's mind, if I cry enough, if I scream enough, guess what? I'm going to get it.
1: Yeah, and all that does is reinforce unwanted behavior. When it comes to toddler and preschool age children, if they're exhibiting unwanted behavior, whether it's hitting, kicking, biting, temper tantrums, sit back and think, what reward is my child getting or potentially getting from these behaviors? And then remove that reward. Remind yourself too, your presence and your attention is often a reward for these behaviors. So a huge piece of advice that I can give parents when these happen in a safe place, such as your own house, is safely ignore your child. And when I say safely ignore your child, is walk to the next room kind of glance back very, very occasionally, but don't let your child realize you're keeping an eye on them just to make sure they're safe. You're smarter than them. You're older. You, you you know how to keep an eye on them without them realizing you're giving them attention. And just ignore them until they calm down. And as long as they're safe, it's okay. And I also want parents to recognize that if your child is banging their head against the ground or kicking the edge of a crib or a bed, they're very, very unlikely to seriously hurt themselves. Kids headbang and hit all the time. And yeah, they might have a few bruises, but I'm not worried about any brain bleeds from your child headbanging on the ground with a temper tantrum. That's a question I get a lot from parents.
0: So luckily for all of us, the terrible twos and threes, they don't last forever. And eventually they move to school age. And so let's talk about what it can look like in elementary school. So do elementary school kids have tantrums? The answer is kind of, sometimes, and it depends, which is about as clear as mud, right? And so a lot of it does depend on just the attitude and behavior and development of your child. There are kids who certainly don't, and that's fine. And there are some who do. I will say, as a you know, long-time educator, I've seen uh, school age kids in the elementary setting come into kindergarten and d- exhibit a lot of the same behaviors that we just talked about in terms of that two to three years old. And they are crying, they're screaming, they have tremendous outbursts, and sometimes it does get into this phase of throwing, hitting, biting, kicking. And uh, more often than not, these are students who are coming to us for the first time in a school setting. Maybe they didn't go to preschool or they had a very short stint uh, or a very small setting where they just didn't have to follow a large set of rules, structures, uh, guidelines for what a. And it's a long school day as well. And so, you know, these types of behaviors do manifest themselves sometimes in those young, young elementary school students in the same way it would as a two or three year old.
1: And I will tell you, the American Academy of Pediatrics really does recommend preschool for three and four year olds because that helps them learn those behaviors in a social setting that will help them become developmentally ready for kindergarten.
0: And I will say the vast majority of kindergartners who come in with those behaviors, usually after the first month or two, we see a huge shift as we enter kind of those winter months. They just needed a little bit of time to learn what school is. And so kindergarten teachers, bless you because you are a special breed and you have a tremendous task every year with that
1: well and also i think a big piece of it is the teachers they're not going to give in to the child's demands Uh, one reason is when a child that's not biologically or genetically your own screams cries it doesn't raise your stress level but if you're the parent of a child and they're screaming or they're in distress, it actually biologically raises your cortisol level. And that's why, as a parent, you get so stressed out when your child is having these tantrums because literally your stress, one of your stress hormones, your cortisol level is increasing.
0: So let's talk a little bit beyond kindergarten. So as kids get into, say, first, third, first through third, the fourth, the fifth, and everything, do kids still have tantrums? And the answer is not as much. Uh, And if they do, typically they're going to manifest in a different way. So you're not going to see as much of the crying, screaming, outburst stuff. What you will see in some students is the anger and the shutting down. Uh, Some students, when they get that emotional Uh, what we can call a tantrum but not in the traditional sense that we talked about with the kind of age one through three you'll see kids you know maybe break a pencil or rip paper uh sometimes hit desks or throw chairs and so it gets a little bit more uh it, it stands out more because there are not a lot of students that do that And if you are the parent of a child who does have those uh, behaviors, I know it can be stressful. It can be extremely hard because the teacher is likely calling you, texting you, messaging you about what the child did that day, and that can be very, very difficult as a parent. Uh, I know I've had to make those calls before, both as a teacher and a principal, and they're hard because... Usually, the parent knows that these types of things happen, but obviously, as a school, you're you know required, expected to communicate with the parents and make sure that they are in tune with it. So it is a tough dynamic sometimes uh, being on the receiving end as a parent, hearing those types of calls, and uh, you know in just a moment we'll talk about some tips and ideas for that. But I, I understand that's a really tough situation to be in. Yeah.
1: One nice thing, though, once your child hits elementary school age, most likely after the fact, the child's embarrassed by the temper tantrums and the child wants to do something to help them. And so a lot of these strategies become more beneficial because you can get your child involved. You can practice some breathing strategies at home. Talk with your child about what makes them upset. What are their emotional triggers for these tantrums? And it might take your child a little bit to be able to verbalize them, but talking about the situation in a nice, calm, cool manner can then help your child pinpoint, oh, this is what really upset me. They're most likely not going to say it in those words, but as a parent, you can listen and realize, oh, okay, this is the situation that is that is raising my child's emotional state leading to those tantrums.
0: Just make sure that when you do these conversations, activities, exercises, make sure that the kid is in a good state of mind. So these are not things that you're going to do in the moment as they're in the middle of a tantrum. You're certainly not going to do these uh practices while they're screaming. Uh, I'll also say, and I've heard this a thousand times as an educator, you might have a child who does this kind of stuff at home and would never even remotely think about it doing that in the school setting or on the sports field or in a performance. And sometimes I just chuckle because, you know, I'll have a meeting with a parent and they'll say, uh, and I'll I'll say to them, you know, man, your child's great. I mean, cooperative and kind, and all you know, this and this and this. And they'll say, "Are we talking about the same kid?" <laughs> and so it it is uh, it is interesting sometimes how you have a child, you know, your your child who acts one way at home and another way in school. Yeah.
1: And as a pediatrician, if a parent comes to me with concerns about their child's behavior, but they are doing well in school. I am incredibly relieved. And I tell parents, listen, this is just this is normal. It's hard work for kids to focus and go through an entire school day. All that emotional regulation takes a toll on you, and so often they get home and they just let out those emotions. Their threshold for what's going to set them off is lower, and they will have more tantrums and disruptive behavior at home and I always reassure parents, if your child recognizes that Ooh, school is not the place to have this, I, I feel very, very good having that conversation.
0: Well, and let's just be honest. Kids are going to feel more comfortable at home. It's where you know they are the most likely to feel free to express themselves. So we get it. And we see the same thing with our two boys at home. Um, I, I don't think our younger one would ever be caught having a tantrum at school, but here at home, I'm sh- he's very, very comfortable having that, usually after a fight with his brother. Yeah.
1: And when it comes to strategies, always include your child in these strategies and really help them figure out what works best for that individual child. I alluded to breathing earlier, but some breathing exercises can really help children with their temper tantrums. Um, general recommendation is you want to breathe out for about twice as long as you're breathing in. There's some recommendations that'll say through the nose in and through the nose when you breathe out. Some will say through the nose in and out the mouth when you breathe out. But what I teach my kids and patients as well is in through the nose for a count of two and I kind of hold up my fingers as I'm doing it. One, two, and then out slowly through the mouth for four. One, two, three, four. And I really hold up the fingers while we're practicing at home.
0: That's a great one. And uh, another idea uh, is have their child practice going to a safe space. Uh, In the education setting, we might call that like a calming corner or something like that. And so have a calming place in your house, in your child's room, and somewhere in the house where if your child is upset, they know they can go relax, and just recollect recoll- their emotions and thoughts.
1: Yeah. So in the younger ages, often parents are told or taught, oh, do timeouts, do one minute of age for the child. And that's approximately true. When you get to school-age children, I really like the strategy of sending them to their calm place and letting them determine when they are ready to come out. Now, if your child comes out and starts talking to you and then they get all riled, riled back up again, just calmly... Look at them and say, hey, you know what? I think you need a few more minutes back in your room or wherever that calm place is. It's okay. Just go ahead. Go, go take a few more minutes. And this really teaches your child to learn their emotions and learn their body and learn how to calm themselves down.
0: Another layer of that, if you want to add it, is to have a reflection sheet or some type of written Uh, opportunity for the for the child and it's something we do in the school setting so your child may be familiar with it uh, from just their own classroom but just something so the child can collect their thoughts and you know if they're in the upper elementary grades they are able to write and so this is a way to just another way to have them reflect and share what might have made them upset what they would do differently next time and what you can do as a parent to help them
1: some kids, the breathing exercises, when they're in the moment, don't work very well. That's where I jokingly call this strategy drinking your problems away. And I don't, please do not give your kids alcohol. I don't mean it that way. But when a child is upset, screaming, yelling, or breathing heavy, you can't drink water at the same time so doing a minute task that distracts the body can actually help your child take those deep breaths to calm down when they just don't have the mental capacity to do those deep breathing exercises you practice so often i'll recommend parents or kids to go to the water fountain or have a water bottle and just take as many slow sips as they need to help calm down
0: another final strategy for this kind of age group would be something to squeeze or touch and and, uh, this has been over the past couple years an explosion with something you might know know as poppets and uh, poppets are the bane of i think some educators existence but uh, the point of them is well taken i also add stress balls in there and you know there's all different variations of those in fact our own son actually used a stress ball uh, when he was playing tennis, he used to get really frustrated out, out on the tennis court if he missed a shot or his partner missed a shot. Or, I mean, it could be any number of things, to be honest. And so Jacqueline had the idea for him to actually keep an extra tennis ball or stress ball in his pocket, and so when he was feeling that, Emotion of getting angry and frustrated instead of kind of shutting down and screaming like he was doing he actually just squeezed that tennis ball in between uh, in in between points and holy cow it worked he. he loved the stress ball. And I guess he was probably in around third, this was probably third, fourth grade when he was doing this the most. And it really changed his performance out on the tennis court. It changed how he treated his partner and his opponents. And I think it just, he he came off the tennis courts feeling better.
1: And he even learned to ask for it, say, hey, I think today I'm really going to need the stress ball in my pocket. And that made me really pleased as a parent to see my own child recognizing potential emotional triggers and planning ahead of time how to tamper them down.
0: Yeah, he became an advocate for himself, basically. So eventually, kids (laughs) do get older, so they say, and they get to middle school, high school. And again, are we going to see the traditional definition of what is in a lot of our minds of temper tantrum or uh, tantrums in that age bracket not usually Uh, if we do it might be a student that has you know diagnosis of um, autism or some type of behavior disability and we're not going to really categorize in this podcast about that we will have future podcasts that talk more specifically about that but for your you know everyday child here Uh, this type of behavior does not typically show out in those grades. What you will see it manifest as, though, are things like self-threats, so something along the lines of, I want to kill myself or I hate myself, I shouldn't be living anymore, or sometimes threats against other people. We know that anger uh, might come out in the words of, I'm going to kill them, and those can be scary, especially in the day and age that we live in. We know we take these very seriously, Uh, But we do have to discern, when kids say this, the context around it.
1: So when parents ask me these questions, I always like to talk about what is passive suicidal ideation versus active suicidal ideation. Suicidal ideation is the threat of harming oneself or killing oneself. And then homicidal ideation would be the threat of harming or killing somebody else. We categorize these into passive versus active passive meaning does the child just say this kind of in a heightened emotional state without a plan versus an active suicidal ideation would be the child has a plan they're in a calmer emotional state So, an example of a passive suicidal ideation would be what Adam alluded to. The already upset yelling, and I'm going to kill myself. The active suicidal ideation would be, hey, I'm whispering to a friend. I have thoughts of hurting myself. I know where there's a knife. I know where there's a gun, and I'm planning on doing this XYZ. Also, if your child has a history of a suicide attempt, that really increases the risk that they will make another one. So I always tell parents, I am much more worried with these suicidal ideations, one, if it is active, if the child has an actual plan, or two, they have a history of an attempt. Those things worry me as a physician much more than the passive threats without any clear plan behind them.
0: So outside of threats, we also see in the preteen, teenager years, a lot of shutting down or isolation. And this could happen for any number of reasons, but we often see it come through for a lot of the same ones we actually see in ages one and three, not getting what we want, right? And so a child or you know, your teenager wants to go out and stay up past 11 or wants to stay out with their friends to midnight and you say no and they get really upset. If you have a driver in your household and you are not letting them drive today, that could get them upset. So there's a lot of very, very parallel situations with ages like two, three, four, and ages 13, 14, 15, 16, they just kind of come out differently and for different reasons. But the, uh, the way it manifests in, the, in those ages might just come with a little bit of screaming, you know, you, you're the worst parent ever, I hate you, uh, With and then shutting down, hiding in their room putting on headphones, and just ignoring the world. Those are very typical behaviors and reactions to preteens, teens, teens when they don't get what they want.
1: So brain development in teenagers, I know I've mentioned this on earlier podcasts, but the prefrontal cortex, or the kind of most human and logical part of the brain, not fully mature until about age 25. However, the maturity of the pleasure-seeking parts of our brain end up maturing around the teenage years. So that's where you see a lot of this disconnect between these impulsive, pleasure-seeking behaviors without that logical part calming them down.
0: So when you're preteen or teenager does show these uh, behaviors or these outbursts there's a few things you can do the first is very simple ignore it (laughs) and just remember you are the parent Uh, let them have their moment let them sulk and uh, they'll come back around make sure by all means you don't go tit for tat with them do not have your own parent tantrum because a battle of the wills is not going to end well. Not to say they're going to win, but that's just going to escalate the situation. And so let them have their moment. Let them have their time. They'll come back around.
1: So if I have a parent coming to me with these episodes happening frequently, affecting their schoolwork, affecting their relationship with their family, their friends, that's when I'll often talk about Okay, is there some type of underlying diagnoses, anxiety or depression, or is your child just exhibiting, I call it, some of these symptoms? Um, When a child has some of these symptoms, but it's not to the level of making an official generalized anxiety Disorder diagnosis or major depressive disorder diagnosis. We talk about, okay, is counseling something that your child would be interested or the family would be interested? Now, I always tell parents of teens, if the child is not interested in counseling, that's going to be a tough sell because... If your child doesn't want to participate, they can just sit there in silence. And counseling, for a lot of families, it takes time and can be expensive. Now, if your child tells you, I have a problem, I want to seek counseling, please believe them and please get them counseling. Even if you're not sure of the exact reason why your child wants counseling, if they come to you seeking it, please believe them and please reach out to their doctor to help. For children who are kind of in that, I call it in-between range, I'll often suggest to families, there's a lot of workbooks for teenagers. There's for all ages too, but I find them more appealing to teenagers because they don't take as much time and they don't interrupt you know the sports schedule or the activity schedule but there's a lot of workbooks about managing anxiety about managing aggression that parents can kind of either sit down and work with the teens on or have your child do you know kind of read through these 10 minutes a day is this a substitute for counseling no it's not but it's a step in the right direction teaching your child those cognitive behavioral strengths strategies which will help that prefrontal cortex or the adult part of their brain help manage their emotions.
0: Well we hope that no matter the age of your child that you feel that you're not alone (laughs) and we understand that children of all ages do have these tantrums, outbursts, uh, shut down moments and it doesn't mean you're uh, a bad parent doesn't mean it's a bad kid. It just means that they're going through the normal developmental stages of being a kid. And so we hope we gave you a few ideas today. Uh, we hope that you might be able to try some out. And uh, hey, if you, you know, if you have some successful uh, approaches to dealing with these things, let us know. We love uh, getting new ideas in our arsenal as well. So we want to just thank you for joining us on Season 2, Episode 2 of Ed Med Talks today and...
1: As we end every episode, remember there's no such thing as the perfect parent, but you can be the perfect parent for your child.